Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I am sex and intimacy coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Hey friends, I'm back. The hiatus over the last six weeks was not planned in advance, but it was much needed. A number of you have reached out to ask me what's going on and make sure I'm okay. And I really appreciate your concern and support. And so while this isn't specifically sex related, it feels like a good opportunity to give you more specifics about what's been going on. And don't worry, I'll talk some sexy stuff in the second half of the show. You may remember that back in January, I published an episode with TikTok star and all-around badass Katie Osaurus about her experience with sex and ADHD. We recorded that conversation in October of 2021, around the same time that my primary care provider suggested to me that I might have ADHD. My PCP thought it was possible that the level of sheer exhaustion and overwhelm I was experiencing wasn't a result of being too stupid and ineffectual to get things done, but rather there might be something going on with my brain. That was a huge surprise to me because all I knew about ADHD was that it primarily affected boys who were constantly acting out and couldn't sit still. And that was most definitely not me. I've never had behavioral issues and there's nothing that makes me happier than sitting like a lump on the couch watching TV. But I really trust my PCP. So I started looking around for a specialist. I spent a couple months at the end of 2021 seeing a provider who honestly was not a great fit. She was very sweet, but she wanted to focus on behavior modifications and, quote, coping skills. And I was already so overwhelmed that learning new skills and behaviors proved impossible. All I wanted to do was cry and go back to bed. Ultimately, she suggested that I see a psychiatric nurse who could prescribe ADHD medications, which she couldn't do, which is how I came to start seeing Molly, the woman I'm working with now. I cried through a lot of our first consult because I felt so seen for the first time ever. I've always felt like I have a really smart brain, but I'm too stupid to accomplish anything with it, I told Molly as tears were flooding my face. Now that's an ADHD sentence if I've ever heard one, she said in a soothing voice. But I don't have tons of excessive energy. I'm not constantly running around. And it's not a problem for me to focus. In fact, it's the opposite of all those things. I rarely have any energy. I'd rather be watching TV. And I can get so focused on something important that I forget to eat or go to the bathroom for hours at a time. 
I explained to her that I used to be a lot more on top of things, but that started falling apart when my mom got sick. I was so stressed and had so much anxiety, it seems like all my coping mechanisms fell away. But I assumed that was short term and they would come back after I'd had time to rest and recover from her illness and death. But that hasn't happened. I feel like I'm drowning most of the time. Molly asked, you're just barely dog paddling? Yes, exactly. Molly nodded as if she's heard this story a thousand times, which she probably has. She said, and when you fall behind, people probably say to you, you're so smart, just try harder, right? Oh my God, yes. She told me, you've probably had this your whole life, but no one noticed because you fit into the societal expectations for a good girl. No, seriously, y'all. She used the phrase good girl with absolutely no prompting from me. Talk about feeling seen. So she went on, attention deficit doesn't look the same for women as it does for boys and men. We have a lot of rejection sensitivity, more anxiety. From the outside, we appear over-organized. And those characteristics are praised in the classroom. Good job. You sit still. You're quiet. You don't mess around. You're so organized. And you're very sensitive to the needs of others. Oh my God, I said, that's a description of my whole life. So what makes us good girls fundamentally makes us unhappy, Molly explained. Instead of treating ADHD and girls the way we do with boys who tend toward hyperactivity, women's ADHD is overlooked and even encouraged because it makes other people happy. It doesn't do us any good. It's not beneficial to our life and it makes us miserable, but we're devoted to keeping up appearances because that's what we get acknowledgement for. So working with Molly has been an absolute godsend, but it also hasn't been easy. Over the course of four months, I've been on and off four different medications. The first two made me so nauseous I couldn't function. The third one made me very, very tired, but I was willing to push through that if it were a transitory issue that would go away. But then one day I was cuddling with my boyfriend and I looked up at him and I said, out of nowhere, if the apocalypse happens, you need to leave me behind. I'll just drag you down so you go ahead without me. My partner was like tears sliding down his face as he looks at me in confusion and horror. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Because y'all, this is not normal conversation for me. It took a couple of weeks for me to realize that the apocalyptic thoughts were getting worse and they had started very soon after starting the third medication. So now I've come off that one and I'm trying a fourth medication. As of this recording... I've been taking it for a couple of weeks. So far, no nausea, no apocalyptic thoughts, thank God. Molly said it needs some time to build up in my system, so I probably won't start to notice any positive effects for another few weeks. And that's okay. I'm willing to wait, with fingers crossed. Throughout this time, I've also been working to understand my brain better. 
when I get into this state of hyperfocus, I recognize it now for what it is. I don't try to interrupt it so I can get 12 other things done. I just let myself focus on the thing that has my attention. And when I hit a day of intense brain fog, I'm trying to give myself the space to watch TV until it clears. And it usually does clear at some point if I give myself some downtime. But I didn't know that before, because in the past, I've shamed myself for being lazy, which only made the brain fog worse. Interestingly, the one thing that has actually gotten easier for me during this time is coaching sessions. I'm not sure why. Maybe because I'm focusing on someone else rather than on my own internal workings. In fact, I was talking with a friend who's a disordered eating coach who also deals with anxiety and attention issues. And she confirmed that at her most overwhelmed, she also finds that coaching is the one thing that feels good and productive, even when everything else is falling apart. So cool, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) I'm shit at the paperwork and the billing and the email part of coaching because that all requires a level of detail that right now I just don't have. But lately, the sessions I've been having with clients are absolutely off the hook. I love my clients so much. And if you'd like to work with me, I've got some slats open right now. So go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching to learn more. And the other thing that's been thriving during this time is work on my book. It's the memoir of my year of sexual healing. And if you're on my email list, you've already been reading excerpts as I write. If you're not on my email list yet, go to leahcarry.com forward slash book to sign up. Writing the first third of the book felt really hard. It was all very internally focused, exploring my good girl tendencies and how they affected my ability to interact with my body and my sexuality. Now that I'm in the middle third of the book, I'm raring to go because it's the fun, squishy stuff, literally. (laughs) I'm at the part where I'm either about to write, currently writing, or have just written a sex scene, and it's so much fun. The other thing that recognizing ADHD as a force in my life has prompted me to do is look at how I use social media. Maintaining Instagram or Facebook or YouTube or any of the platforms has been an ongoing struggle for me. I can be consistent for a couple months and start to get traction, and then all of a sudden, it's way too overwhelming and I disappear. I always thought this was a failing on my part, that I would never be good enough business person if I couldn't maintain a consistent presence on these channels. After all, that's what all the business gurus say. Choose a channel and pour your heart and soul into it. Turns out, I've actually always been this way. It's what my mom used to tell me. I would sit on the sidelines and watch and watch and watch for what seemed like forever. And then all of a sudden, I would jump into the middle of whatever was going on, fully committed, fully present. And then a moment would come when I was out Once the switch flipped, there was nothing that could convince me to go back to something I had been enjoying just a few minutes earlier. So I'm trying to figure out how to turn this into a plus instead of a minus for my business. I'm thinking that it might be that I show up on whatever channel happens to have my attention for that moment and then have one place like Instagram that is the clearinghouse for everything else. So if I get a bug to make a YouTube video, 
I don't have to believe that I'm now supposed to devote myself to YouTube forevermore. It can just be a video. And then I announce it on Instagram. And if the following week I'm feeling Twitter, I'll switch over there and announce it on Instagram. Meanwhile, I'm thinking about using Instagram rather than a place that I need to provide pithy educational content every day to feed the fucking algorithm to a place where I just share my thoughts and feelings with you, not carefully packaged for greatest impact, just me and you having some interesting conversations together. I don't know for sure if this is the answer I'm looking for, but it already feels a damn sight better than what I've been doing. And you'll get your first taste of all that after the break, when I'm going to share with you the results of dipping my toes into Reddit to offer sex and relationship advice. Back in a minute. Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my particular situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There is no single answer that's right for everyone, so I'm going to help you discover what's right for you. And we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown, while going too slow can be infuriating and exhausting. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM, exploring consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring your sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life, and together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Y'all, I am so excited to tell you about an amazing platform I just joined. It's called Beducated. That's educated with a B, education for your bedroom. Clever, right? They provide on-demand courses in all sorts of categories. Communication, kink, anal sex, penis massage, vulva massage, etc., There's a huge library of courses that teach techniques on live models, so you're not left trying to interpret a somewhat ambiguous line drawing to see how something might work on an actual body. When I signed in the first time, the course I was, of course, immediately drawn to was erotic spanking. Fuck y'all, let me tell you. 
I've been watching this course and they demonstrate spanking positions I've never seen before. They talk through different types of impact and how and when and why you might wanna use them. So here's a tidbit from one of the lessons. Before you start a spanking game with your partner, think about and discuss what kind of erotic energy you want to experience. As the person being spanked, do you want to feel like a delicious, sexy being who's being worshipped with every spank? Or a naughty, dirty slut who needs a firm hand? Do you want to be playful and frisky? Or do you want to be quiet and serene? Friends, I am not going to lie. Watching the demonstration videos for erotic spanking was a huge turn on. And I'm now eagerly waiting for an evening when my partner and I can dive into this class together because we are going to have a lot of fun learning the techniques they teach. If this sounds good to you, grab a free trial to the Beducated platform, which gives you access to a huge library of courses. When you sign up through my link with the coupon code GOODGIRLSTALK, you'll get 65% off the yearly pass. And that discount will be locked in for life, not just the first year, but forever. Level up your love life and join Beducated for just $9.99 a month. Click the link in the description of this episode and use the coupon code GOODGIRLSTALK. Let's get Beducated! A few weeks ago, I decided to poke my nose into Reddit. I've been intrigued by some of the am I the asshole content that has become prevalent on the internet. So I started poking around and found a board where people seek sex and relationship advice. So I replied to a few of the queries. Here's what I discovered about Reddit. There is virtually no space there for nuance. If someone says, I love my boyfriend, but I don't want as much sex as he does, should I stay with him? The responses all seem to come down in one of two ways. Either dump him, he shouldn't be pressuring you for sex, or he needs to leave you if you're not willing to give it up for him. Neither of those are particularly useful answers, because they set human interactions up as black and white, right and wrong, good and bad. That is rarely a true reflection of the complexities of human relationships. Usually, there are two good people with good intentions trying to sort through all the bullshit and issues they carried into the relationship, navigate their lack of communication skills, and figure out how to get what they need in the relationship without knowing what it is they actually want. So I figured, great, this might be a good place for me to engage and really dig deep People who are in anguish will be hungry for a more nuanced take, right? Wrong. (laughs) Totally and completely very wrong. Reddit is not a place for nuance. The other day, I saw a message from a young woman describing a sexual situation and asking if it was assault. Predictably, the answers came down as absolute yeses and absolute noes mostly knows, and mostly saying things like, no, it wasn't assault and you're psycho for thinking it was, or that's why it's so dangerous to be a man today. 
I responded with some basic education around consent and coercion, and Reddit did not like it. (laughs) I was downvoted, and people pushed back against the idea that this wasn't a cut and dry situation where she was wrong and he was right, or vice versa. So, Reddit as a platform, probably not the right match for me. But there are some questions there that I think are excellent jumping off points for conversations about things we already talk about on this show. For instance, we talk a lot about consent, and this question involves the nuance of consent. So I want to try something new today. I'm going to share the original Reddit post with you, slightly edited for clarity, and then I'll talk through my thoughts on it. If you disagree with something I say, if you have further questions based on what I've said, or if you want to add something that you think I missed, I welcome your feedback by leaving a voicemail at 720-GOOD-SEX. So let's get started. Was I, a 19-year-old female, sexually assaulted? About a week ago, I had my first sexual encounter with a guy who's 18 years old. We had agreed to have sex beforehand, and we went to my place. We sat down on my bed and we started kissing and it got a little more passionate and suddenly he hugged me really tight. I told him not to hug so hard and he apologized and stopped. We continued kissing and he pushed me down and got on top of me. I tried to move my arms, but he held them down. At this point, I was uncomfortable, but we kept kissing. We rolled over and I was on top of him and we were like that for a bit, but suddenly he got back on top and pinned my arms down again. He asked me if I was good with everything we were doing so far, and I told him I didn't like how forceful he was being. He said, oh, I'm sorry, and got off me and laid down next to me. I told him that the force made me uncomfortable and it kind of scared me a bit. We took a break and he said he was sorry for scaring me. We started kissing again, and he ended up fingering me. He didn't use force, and after that, he asked every time he did something. I didn't necessarily want to do any of it, but I said yes anyway. I'm wondering if it was assault. He made me very uncomfortable when he was being aggressive at first, but he stopped when I asked him to, so I guess it's okay. So let's go through this line by line. She starts with, we agreed to have sex beforehand. It's really good that there's clear intent from both partners. But what's not clear is what either of them meant when they said have sex. Penis and vagina intercourse? Using their hands and mouths to bring each other to orgasm without penetration? Different people mean different things when they use the word sex. So signaling intent is good, but it doesn't necessarily imply consent because you can't consent to something when you don't really know what you're saying yes to. So let's assume they were both using the word sex to mean penis and vagina intercourse. Even if they're on the same page and saying yes to the same thing, either one of them can withdraw consent at any time. So just because she said yes at the beginning of the evening does not absolve him of any responsibility to keep checking in with her throughout the encounter. And then she says, we went to my place. So I want to get out ahead of the people who are thinking, well, if you took him back to your place, what did you expect? Surely you can't be surprised at what happened. Inviting a man to your house or going to his house is not an automatic invitation for sexual activities. You should be able to expect that your consent is inviolable. 
no matter what. Even if you're drunk, even if you're wearing provocative clothing, even if you've already got your clothes off and you change your mind. Always. Next, she says, I told him not to hug so hard and he apologized and stopped. This is excellent. She isn't comfortable with what's happening, so she speaks up. She tells him what's making her uncomfortable and he stops doing that thing. He acknowledges her discomfort with an apology, plus one for both parties. They move to kissing and he gets on top of her. I tried to move my arms, but he held them down. Now this is where things start to slide in a pretty dicey direction. She's already said she's not comfortable with a tight squeeze. Anything that happens after she said that needs to take into account her discomfort with that type of pressure. He's welcome to ask her, how would you feel if I pinned you down to the bed? And that can be a super sexy question that can amp things up rather than killing the mood. But holding her down without asking is pushing against a boundary that she has already voiced. She says, I was uncomfortable, but we kept kissing. This is a very common response for those of us who were brought up as little girls. Even though we may not like what's happening, it's ingrained in us that we have to take care of the other person's needs. If you think about the fight, flight, freeze, fuck response, this is freeze. I don't like what's going on here, but I don't see a way out of it. So it's safer to just let it happen. Then she says, he got back on top of me and pinned my arms down again. Now this part is tricky. He's done this once and she did not say no. So we can't specifically fault him for not knowing she was uncomfortable. Except that if he were really paying attention, he should have been able to tell. She's already told him once that she didn't like forceful touch. She found a way to roll out of it a second time. I do not accept the idea that guys are so taken over by hormones that they can't think straight or pay attention. That is some world-class fucking bullshit. We have given young men a pass on this for so long that they actually believe the propaganda. They shouldn't be held responsible for anything they do when their hormones are raging. Despite popular mythology, girls have a similar level of hormonal lunacy going on, but you don't hear people saying she shouldn't be held responsible for her actions. In fact, we hold women responsible for the men's actions, saying she shouldn't have worn those clothes if she didn't want to get assaulted. Ugh. Anyway, back to the question. I told him I didn't like how forceful he was being. This is now two times that she has called him off and told him that she's uncomfortable. At this point, a reasonable human would stop and say, I'm sorry, I don't think we're on the same page. I was doing things I thought you would like, but that doesn't seem to be the case. So can you tell me what you would like so we can do that instead? Instead, he starts fingering her raising the interaction to a new level by introducing penetration. She says, after that, he asked every time he did something. I didn't necessarily want to do any of it, but I said yes anyway. This is a classic example of being so worn down that you end up saying yes to all sorts of things you don't actually want. I was actually just writing a chapter in my book where a man asked if he could 
put his mouth on my breast. I said no. A minute later, he asked if he could put his mouth on my breast. I said no. A minute later, he asked if he could put his mouth on my breast. By the third time he asked, I was so worn down that I just said yes. I didn't want it. I didn't get any pleasure from it, and it made me feel kind of icky. But it's incredibly common for women to feel like they can only say no a certain amount of times before they have to say yes. And we train our little boys to believe that they should push and push until they get what they want. This is what is considered successful in the business and corporate world. So now let's zoom out a little bit from the specifics of her query and talk about consent and coercion. There can be a violation of consent where the perpetrator has the best of intent, but they crossed their partner's boundary without thinking about it. There can be coercion where the perpetrator doesn't realize what they're doing, but it has the effect of coercing their partner. Much of this is due to social conditioning. Little girls are taught to please people. Little boys are taught to pester until they get the answer they want. That leaves men not realizing that what they're doing is coercive. Well, I asked her so she could have said no. And it leaves women not knowing how to get out of situations that make them uncomfortable. I don't like what he's doing, but I don't want him to get mad at me. I don't want to be rude. The other thing that happens is what I think of as used car salesman behavior. People in sales are taught to open with a few innocuous questions that will get the prospect to say yes a couple times. And rather than trying to explain this myself, I'm going to read to you from an article for salespeople titled, How to Convince Someone to Say Yes, Seven Power Triggers to Help You Sell. And as abhorrent as I find this, I'm going to link to the article in the show notes so you can read the tricks salespeople use for yourself. When we are led to make a commitment of some kind, to go on record or take a stand or make a decision, there is an urge to remain consistent with that original commitment later on. When you're learning how to convince someone to say yes, the key is to get the initial commitment, which can appear small, reasonable, and innocent. This commitment can not only lead to compliance via the principle of consistency, but also to further compliance for larger requests. The application is you ask for a little yes first, then build on that. Salespeople sometimes call this the foot in the door technique. Begin by asking your prospect to agree to a simple request, such as making a small transaction or completing a simple questionnaire. By getting people to make a decision, take a stand, or perform an action, you establish a new psychological commitment. Once you have that commitment, no matter how small, you can build on this small commitment and make ever-increasing requests. Can you see how this relates to sex? Once you've given the yes for kissing or making out, your brain now thinks of this as an interaction in which you say yes. In order to not go into a state of inconsistency or also called cognitive dissonance, you are now primed to say yes 
to more things that have been asked of you, and it becomes much harder for your brain to switch tracks and say no. So back to our protagonist. Even though her body didn't want to keep going, she didn't know how to end the encounter, so she let it keep happening. Would it stand up in court as an assault? No, of course not. Did he employ coercive tactics? Yes. Did he violate her boundaries? Yes. Just because she wasn't saying no doesn't mean that she was saying yes. Now, I want to be careful here because I'm not saying that you should never start something unless you're ready to finish it. Not at all. Instead, before you begin an encounter, be clear with yourself and with the other person what your boundaries are for this encounter. For instance, anytime I have a sexual interaction with someone new, my boundary is no penetration during our first play session. There are a few reasons for this, but the biggest one is that I want to know that a potential sexual partner is able to respect and maintain a boundary before I consent to going all the way. The good news is that once you're aware of these techniques that can be used against you, you're less likely to fall for them. It won't be perfect, but next time you're in a situation where you want to say no, but you're not sure how, you can hear my voice in your head saying, you're in a yes cycle right now you are allowed to switch tracks and say no instead. And finally, I hope that in laying this out, it's clear that this guy was pushing boundaries and involved in coercion, but I don't think any of this was malicious or even conscious on his part. I am not saying he's a bad guy. But acknowledging that this woman experienced coercion and boundary violations even if he didn't intend them, I think is important. I would like them both to learn more about boundaries, consent, and how to communicate about sex. But neither of them are in the wrong, because neither of them have been given the tools to do things right. Chances are pretty good that this guy's primary sex education was porn, where he saw a lot of pinning women down to the bed, putting hands on throats, and other kind of rough moves. So he gets into the bedroom with a woman and he mimics what he thinks he's supposed to do. All, or at least a lot, of this could have been avoided if they'd known how to talk about what they wanted before they got naked together. And that's where the stars talk comes in. And for a refresher on what the stars talk is and how to have it, listen to the January 2021 episode, Improve Your Sex Life with the Stars Talk. Okay, so tell me, what have I forgotten? What have I gotten wrong? What aha moments did you have listening to this breakdown? Give me a call at 720-GOOD-SEX and leave me a voicemail so you can be part of the conversation. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts Or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. 
go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Good Girls Talk for more sex positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. <laughs>